All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the practice of medicine. I'm super excited because one of our goals this semester is to bring different faculty in because we've got experts in every realm from medicine to uh, foundational science to ethics. And that's something we're going to talk about today. And this is a direct response to what you all asked for, because based on some of the course reviews, you all wanted to hear more about this topic that we're covering right now. So in this episode, because we listen to you, we are doing cultural competency and we have a true expert in the field. So I have Joelle Robertson Pridler. All right. She's here with us. Joelle, say hi and tell us a little bit about you. Hey, I'm Joelle. Um, I got a PhD in biomedical ethics. I do clinical ethics at Houston Methodist Hospital and also a lot of research and education in ethics and clinical care. My goodness. Thank goodness for the ethics folks, because as we always say, look, I'm just a simple gynecologist, Joelle. (laughs) But you are the ones who make the little sidelines on our field. So we play in bounds. There's some crazy stuff out there, Joelle. So thank you so much for being here. As we said in this episode, we're going to talk about something that initially sounds very touchy-feely, and it may initially turn some of you off, like, oh, cultural competency, I get that already. No, 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 but I promise it is super applicable and super important because this has direct implications to how you will treat patients during your clinical year of medical school, and it definitely has implications with how you treat patients in residency. So, Joelle, welcome aboard. Yes, thank you. Let's get into cultural competency now. I found these three examples of why this topic matters in the explanation of cultural competency by another college. Well, we can talk about other colleges, right? Yes. We're going to do it. So <laughs> this is out of Regis College. And nothing, not everything is A&M, for heaven's sakes. Okay. <laughs> this explanation of cultural competency by Regis College, that's actually a college in Massachusetts. But listen to these three clinical scenarios that Joel's going to talk to you about, and you'll see quickly how important this is and why this matters. So a Native American man tells emergency room staff he's going to follow the old ways of dying and asks that his family be around. Instead, he is transferred to an intensive care unit hundreds of miles away for the extensive treatment he did not want, and his family cannot join him. He dies two weeks later after being resuscitated twice, and his wife is the only family member with him. My goodness, or listen to this one. A Chinese patient is admitted to the ICU after heart surgery and asks the medical staff to allow his wife to cook a therapeutic meal for him that contains special herbs that only his wife knew how to make. His nurses did not understand that initial request, after which he stopped asking because he was afraid of how they might view him and interpret his request. A newborn is too ill to be discharged with his Vietnamese mother, and the nursing staff becomes concerned that the mother appears not to be bonding with Mm. her new baby. A specialist in transcultural nursing care explains to the staff that in rural Vietnam, many people believe spirits are attracted to and may harm newborns, so they try not to draw attention to babies. What had seemed to the staff as uncaring was, in fact, a reflection of the mother's love for her child. So you see what can happen when we we make assumptions. So those are pretty impactful, right? We're going to dive into this issue a lot more in this session and explain why cultural competency is not simply a buzz term, 
but it really does impact quality health care. Yeah, those examples are good. I mean, and I see those. There's a lot of misunderstandings. Like, they want what? We're not going to do that. And meaning to do well, to outright, I mean, trying to be a patient advocate, we can actually not be patient advocates. Crazy. Okay, so let's start right off the bat by defining what we mean by cultural competency, all right? Because we have to put this off right at the beginning. Well, there's a lot of touchy-feely words out there that are going around, not just in medicine, but of course in our current culture. But these words in medicine actually do mean something. Cultural competency, turns out, means a lot. This concept of cultural competency has become critical as the medical industry confronts issues of, here we go, we've all heard it, healthcare disparities and health inequities. They're real. I've seen it, and it's heartbreaking when I can't do anything about it. The data indicate that ethnic minorities tend to face more social determinants of health and poor health outcomes. Cultural competency may be a way to help bridge this gap by better understanding our patients' needs and their barriers to care. And what's important to them too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what is cultural competence? So many definitions of cultural competence have been put forward, but probably the most widely accepted is the following. All right. Okay. Cultural and linguistic competence is a set of congruent behaviors, knowledge, attitudes, and policies that come together in a system, organization, or among professionals that enables effective work in cross-cultural situations. Boy, see, that's when you know an academician wrote that, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you can't even say all the no, words. I mean, but the truth is, so you're like, okay, you have to replay that one. I get it. <laughs> Just go back to the five seconds. But there's, a, I mean, those are like big spoonsfuls of info yes. there. So let's, let's tell you what. Let's break up those into simple little terms and hang in there, guys. Don't, don't fast forward anything because this really does mean something. So let's start just by that word culture. We all say it all the time. What's our culture? But what does that mean? Well, according to the true published data, culture refers to integrated patterns of human behavior that includes things like our language, our thoughts, our actions, customs, our beliefs, and institutions that are based on our racial, ethnic, or social, or even religious groups. What else, Joelle? If we look at this term competence, this implies having the capacity to function effectively as an individual or an organization within the context of the cultural beliefs, practices, mm. and needs presented by patients and their communities. So cultural competence in healthcare combines the tenets of patient family-centered care with an understanding of the social and cultural influences that affect the quality of medical services and treatment. Yeah, that's good. We're going to get into all of this and what this really means. And I'm going to give you some examples of stuff just from, from personal, from being on the wards that you hear and you're like, ooh, that was kind of embarrassing because if somebody didn't catch that and how things can be misconstrued. I know you guys have seen that. And if you haven't, you will. Cultural competence is widely seen as one of the foundational pillars for reducing these healthcare disparities that we've already talked about. It all has to do with being culturally sensitive and giving unbiased quality care. That's all we all want to do. We don't want to hurt anybody or hurt anybody's feelings, but the way that we do that is understand where they come from. And no, this isn't just a medical school curriculum item. This is actually something of national attention, guys. The Office of Minority Health, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services, actually has established national standards for culturally and linguistically appropriate services in health and human services. Listen, this is called the National Class Standards. That's CL. AS, that's culturally and linguistically appropriate services. These are to provide a blueprint to improve and implement cultural competency in medicine across the U.S., not just at Texas A&M School of Medicine. 
Plus, this is also part of AAMC's directive to better train future healthcare providers. Mm. The Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education has identified the importance of addressing cultural diversity as part of its professional competency. And the Alliance of Continuing Medical Education also devotes lectures at its national annual conference to cultural competency. In addition, some states have also established legislature requiring or strongly recommending cultural competency training for physicians as part of their licensure requirement. So let me just tell you something, General, right now, as a practicing physician for the state of Texas, this is part of my licensing requirement. I've got to take like a little class, a CME course or something that shows that I've been trained on this or I don't get to practice. And I don't know if you all heard what she said, but Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. You know what that is? Those are the people who grant you residency. (laughs) Those are the people who let you graduate from your training. So this isn't just medical school. This will follow you through your residency years and then in your Texas or wherever you are, your state licensure. So let's hang in there for just a moment because we talked about this uh, already, but it's an important point. For medical students, which is, again, the target of this podcast, this is part of AAMC. That's the governing board that directs your medical school curriculum. Cultural competency is actually one of AAMC's core competencies that they look for in entering medical students and in medical students throughout the curriculum. You may want to remember that. This is directly out of the AAMC Medical Student Competency Guideline. Here's what they say, Joe. Listen to this. The entering medical student is expected to have the following. Demonstrate knowledge of sociocultural factors that affect interactions and behaviors. Show an appreciation and respect for multiple dimensions of diversity. Recognize and act on the obligation to inform one's own judgment. Engage diverse and competing perspectives as a resource for learning, citizenship, and work. The students should recognize and appropriately address bias in themselves and others, and they should interact effectively with people from diverse backgrounds. Whew, that's good stuff. Well, this is exactly why we are discussing this issue right now. You see, this is why these matter. Despite recent progress in overall national health, disparities unfortunately continue in the incidence of illness and death among African Americans, Latino Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Alaskan Natives, and Pacific Islanders, as compared with the U.S. population as a whole. So health and human service organizations are really recognizing the need to enhance services for culturally and linguistically diverse populations. So providing culturally and linguistically appropriate healthcare services requires an understanding of cultural competence. Man, that's good. There's a lot of stuff there. All right, Joel, Dr. Robertson Pridler. You've got to, <laughs> got to reinforce this. I'm going to get into this, but you got to say how important this is, especially as a medical uh, ethics expert. This is not just a race issue. While cultural competence in healthcare initially referred to meeting the needs of people from distinctive ethnic and racial groups, and that's still valid now, it's broader than that because this also has to do with meeting the needs of people with disabilities, those from mm-hmm. diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, meaning not just the wealthy or the well-to-do, those who don't have anything. That's my, my patient population and even members of the LGBTQ community. Now, before we go any further, let's make an important distinction here between cultural competence, that's what we're talking about, and things like cultural sensitivity and awareness. Those are big buzzwords, and they are very interrelated, but y'all need to get this. They are not the same things. Joelle? 
Yeah, so cultural competence really emphasizes the idea of effectively operating in different cultural contexts and altering practices to reach different cultural groups. Cultural knowledge, sensitivity, and awareness do not include this concept. Although they imply understanding of cultural similarities and differences, they do not include action or structural change. Here's the best contrast of these terms that I have come across as stated. In a 2019 publication out of the online journal Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery by lead author Nair, quote, cultural competence is the ability to collaborate effectively with individuals from different cultures and backgrounds, end quote. Not just knowing about their cultures or backgrounds. So you're actually doing, you're actually interacting in an effective way. Man, that's good. So I like, uh, tell me this is correct because you're the expert in this realm. Uh, I view like cultural awareness as the knowledge and then cultural competency as that knowledge into action or actual, the, the EQ, if you will, mm -hmm. of the provider, right? I mean, I can know something on paper, but to actually relate to somebody is something else. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's not just an intellectual activity. Okay. You're dealing like with it. real people and appreciating their differences. Oh, I like it. All right, guys. So we've just covered, remember the format of this course, we kind of do the what, what are we talking about? And then we move into the why, why does it matter? Well, we've just discussed what cultural competency is. I mean, literally, like we defined it. And now we're going to get into the why this matters. I mean, why should you care? Why should I care? Well, we can boil this down to a very simple statement. We can do better for our patients. I mean, think about it. What if this is your mother, your, your daughter, your, your wife, you, for heaven's sakes? I mean, put yourself in the patient's position. Joelle, be honest. Sometimes it's frustrating. <laughs> I get that. But we're, it's not about us. It's about them. And I have to remind myself, to be honest, every single day. The goal of cultural competency in healthcare settings is to reduce this racial, this economic, this ethnic, and these social disparities when meeting a community's healthcare needs. I mean, it really is heartbreaking. Based on published data, okay, remember this, guys, cultural competence significantly benefits healthcare organizations and patients alike. It's a win-win. It results in more patient participation and engagement. I mean, my goodness, if they're viewed as human, treated as people, they're going to come back. Mm -hmm. that, it's incredible. It's, how complicated is that, Joel? It's super easy. Yeah, people <laughs> know when you care. Uh, that's it. You can't fake caring. I love it. Fostering respect and improved understanding also is pivotal here in patient care that's of quality care. Now, we can lead to these following things by implementing cultural competence, all right? So cultural competence leads to these things. You may want to remember these. Increased patient safety, reduced inefficiencies, reduced care disparities, and it actually decreases costs. Okay, so all of that reflects the textbook definitions and explanations of what cultural competency means and does. But what does this mean for us at the bedside? What does this mean for us as healthcare providers? Cultural competence in healthcare means delivering effective quality care to patients who have diverse beliefs, attitudes, values, and behaviors. This practice requires systems that can personalize healthcare according to cultural and linguistic differences. It also requires understanding the potential impact that cultural differences can have on healthcare delivery. So I think that the American Nurses of Association states it very well. Yes, we can learn a lot from other organizations outside of our <laughs> physician groups. Oh, I know. It's always about what do, what do medic and medical people say, right? <laughs> right, we forget yeah. there's, other, there's other organizations, Joel. All right, Absolutely. tell us what they say. We need to hear what from the nurses. Okay. So the ANA Code of Ethics states that nurses must, quote, practice with compassion and respect for the inherent dignity, worth, and unique attributes of every person. 
That's a good statement. The only way to treat all patients with compassion and dignity is by understanding their cultures and responding appropriately to their wishes and desires. Unfortunately, this often does not happen in practice. My goodness. Now, that brings us into another section here, which is language. Because how do you treat somebody with compassion if there's this big barrier that stands between you both, which is language? I know you're saying, oh, we've got we've got translators for that. That's not the point. The, the, the translator is the vehicle. It's the compassion behind that that, that matters. Um, as a side note, I was, uh, this is an interesting story about language, all right? Mm-hmm. So I remember, things you remember, I was a medical student on internal medicine. It's been some time ago uh, with a Hispanic male going over whatever it was. But I thought this was so funny and it never left me. So my attending, who was straight up Caucasian, Right, no other mixed influence. I was going over the things I'm translating. I uh, said, so we need test X, Y, Z. And the patient goes, orale. And I say, orale. And the attending goes, oh, I'm sorry, what is that? What, what, what does that mean? Like, is he upset? Like, no, he said right on. Let's go. <laughs> and you see I that? Like I mean, that. I, it's, that's, that's cultural competence before I knew the word. Mm-hmm. Just being there. It's just understanding. That's why, and, and it's not about speaking all their languages. It's just about trying to understand. But let's talk about language because it is a big deal. Now that we have this understanding that it's more than just understanding a person's ethnic background or race, it's deeper than that. This has to do with understanding even communication differences between cultures. For example, cultural differences between healthcare providers and patients can affect, obviously, communication. This can impact both clinicians and patients' decisions with regard to treatment. Okay, so listen to this example. A clinician may misinterpret a patient's silence as lack of interest in receiving some care. So as a result, the clinician may not order a certain diagnostic test. But in fact, it was the patient's response of being quiet as a sign of respect for the physician. That's interesting, right? Total misunderstanding. And that's because we didn't seek to actually ask, are you okay? Did I miss Mm -hmm. something? Just being human. Cultural competence also has some boundaries, though. Listen, guys, we cannot be all things to all people. And we're not talking about being somebody you're not. You be you, but also allow other people to be them because we can't be everything to everyone. That's not realistic, and that's not our job, but it is our job to try to be accommodating as much as possible while maintaining professionalism, and this is where Joel comes in, ethical standards without jeopardizing evidence-based care and patient safety. We're going to talk about that at the end, but no more is this true than it is regarding this issue of language. Yeah, it would be great if we each spoke a variety of different Mm -hmm. languages, which allowed us to have direct provider-to-patient communication. That's ideal. But we know that's not realistic. Language barriers are a real issue that that get in the way of effective patient care. So language accessibility is also key. Language barriers keep patients from accurately describing their symptoms and providers from explaining diagnoses. Language barriers can also create unsafe and inappropriate situations in other ways. Mm. For instance, clinicians may rely on children to serve as interpreters, putting young people in the position of telling a parent they have cancer. Oh my gosh, that's that's something else. For a, that's a good podcast. Other topic. <laughs> I've seen it done. These poor this kids. This is hard. Yeah, well, that's a lot ask, of pressure. How's gynecology? How am I going to ask a child? Can you ask your mom if she's had gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis? Right. It's not weird. appropriate. All right. Yeah. So you see how this goes. You see how deep. I mean, it's a lot of tentacles in this thing for cultural competence. 
So as we get ready to end this episode, let's talk now about how to actually put this stuff that we've talked about, language and understanding other people's cultures. How do we put this in action? In other words, what do we do with this? Well, to put cultural competency into action, healthcare organizations, including medical school and students, that's you guys, and residency, that's where you're going to be, need to build into their work culture and into their environment this accepting thing of cultural competence. It's good to help hold training events and launch educational activities like, Joel, I'm proud of this, like what we're doing right now. Right. Yeah, demonstrate culturally competent practices, cultivate cross-cultural awareness and communication, maintain a diverse workforce. And here's also another important disclosure, though. This concept of cultural competency is not in isolation, and it's not perfect when it's alone. It's not meant to be alone. Mm -hmm. This has to be integrated with two big things, guys, cultural humility Cultural humility is understanding that we have our own biases and our own uh, issues. And once we we take a reflection and, and an inventory of that towards others, we can combine that cultural humility with cultural competency, and that's how we win. But remember, this all has to be done with one other crucial factor. Tell us, Joel. Um. Well, and these two items, cultural competency and cultural humility, yeah. must be balanced against the central core item of patient safety. Ooh, there you go. In short, cultural competence demands an ongoing commitment and multi-pronged approach for better work satisfaction, better team dynamics, and of course, ultimately better patient outcomes and satisfaction. All right, everyone, we have covered cultural competency, what it is, what it isn't, and what it's really meant for. It's just about having better EQ. For a long time, Joel, we were good at making physicians, good scientists, Mm -hmm. and they were weird. (laughs) I mean, come on now. (laughs) We have to be able to talk to patients. We have to actually be able to talk to people. Absolutely. Which is why, on a separate note, see why things like standardized tests and all that, that doesn't measure your ability to relate. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're trying to do with this episode, trying to get you all to relate better to people. So with me today, I had... Joelle Robertson-Pridler. All right. Thank you all. We'll see you on another episode of our Practice of Medicine course. 